Hi, I'm Michelle Wilson, your instructor for Anthropology 232. This week's podcast is the sort of introduction to the class, to the curriculum, to my pedagogical intentions and style. You know, I've been the instructor for Anthropology 232 going on 26 years And every time I enter into a term, I spend a lot of time thinking about what are my aims, what's my role as a teacher, as a facilitator of knowledge, as a co-learner. The answer is sometimes the same, sometimes it changes. I can tell you that when I started teaching this class 26 years ago, I was onboarded very last minute and I was handed a huge file and the teacher at the time said, just teach what's in the file and you'll be just fine. I was still in grad school, um, anthropology, applied anthropology and public health at Oregon State University. And I thought, whew, that's good, because this is really last minute, and I've never taught a college class before. As I went through the instructional material, I started to feel a little icky. What does that mean? Well, you know, I have a pretty complex identity. I've got lots of things that both um, genetically, but more so culturally, have been my the, the center of my identity, I suppose. And as I was reading through what I was supposed to teach, something really stood out to me. And it was 10 weeks of knowledge that I was supposed to stand on the stage and pass on to a classroom full of quote unquote eager and curious students about Native Americans. The curriculum was pretty traditional. And when I say traditional, I mean traditional anthropology. Here is a group of people. This is where they lived, past tense. This is the food that they ate, past tense. This is how they engaged, past tense, in warfare, how they married, how they celebrated, how they mourned, and how they became victims of a larger dominant colonizing society, past tense. All of that was just wrong. I thought to myself, well, indigenous peoples aren't gone. Indigenous peoples are everywhere. They're in me. They're my community. They're my friends my students, my colleagues, they dream and they innovate and they thrive and they create and they mourn and they marry and they celebrate and they do all the things that's in this stack, in this folder, but not in the past tense. They do it today. That was traditional anthropology. Anthropology, we'll talk more about this next week, but, you know, anthropology was born out of the study of Native Americans. 
primarily in two ways, culturally, and really most of that work was what we called at the time salvage anthropology that was funneled through the Bureau of Ethnography, which was a, an agency, if you will, a research agency sponsored by the Smithsonian, headed by Franz Boas, to essentially send a lot of anthropologists across the country to live with Native American peoples, to study their culture, record it, collect as much information as they could, bring it back, type it up, write a book about it, share it with other anthropologists, and then store it. The other way was through archaeology, and a lot of that too was salvage work. Salvage it, save it, right? Archaeologists would go out, find sites, dig them, collect artifacts, catalog them, draw them, photograph them, write about them, tell stories about how they were used and why they were made and what it meant about the culture, and then put them in museums or put them in boxes. That's traditional anthropology. It was all very much couched in the past. To see indigenous peoples not in the past tense, but in the now and in the tomorrow was really sort of, I suppose, the work of other people, sociologists, social workers, ethnic studies, art, yeah? But anthropology seemed pretty divorced from seeing indigenous peoples as the now. That changed, though, in the 1980s, in the 1990s, and coming into the 2000s. There's a big pendulum shift, if you will. That's a pretty classic um, academic way of referring to perspectives and ideas moving from one place to another, a big sort of cataclysmic shift in thinking. It took a while, though, for anthropologists, all anthropologists, to adopt that. And certainly that folder that I was handed was from someone who'd inherited it from another anthropologist who'd inherited it from another anthropologist, and they hadn't caught on. This is how you, quote unquote, teach about Native Americans. There wasn't a recognition that these are human beings, and that they're not monolithic. So I, I struggled. I struggled a lot that first term. And, and while it was my first term teaching, and I had a lot of problems with the curriculum, admittedly, there were, there were parts of it that I, I kept. Um, I didn't have the confidence to change it. I didn't know what I would say that would have been respectful enough and responsive enough and truthful enough. So I stuck to the script. There were moments where I annotated, where I went off script. And looking back to 26 years ago, those are probably the most awkward, fumbling times in my teaching and my knowledge sharing and my co-learning, but they were the most truthful. So I set about saying, you have a responsibility 
if a course like this is to remain and to th thrive and to sustain, it needs to evolve. It needs to abandon all of the past tense references, unless, of course, we're talking about some period of time, when something originated, how something was used. But it can't end there because indigenous peoples don't end there. That's my hope for this class. That's my hope for everybody in here. I know that of the many, many humans that have enrolled in this course, you come from a variety of places. You look in the mirror every day and you see somebody who has ancestors, who has a place, who has struggles and challenges and successes. Some of us look in the mirror and we're forced to see things that maybe ought not be as important as society makes them or makes them important in ways that aren't important to us culturally. Nonetheless, we have to navigate it. Some of us look in the mirror every day and, and we smile. Some of us look in the mirror every day and turn away. This course is not about being an anthropologist. This course is not about using knowledge that oftentimes was stolen or taken out of context, used without consent, and just passing it on because it's there. This course isn't about standing outside of a window and looking through to quote unquote observe Indian people. So what is this course about? Well, it's about humans and it's about culture. What's culture? There's many definitions. Look in the mirror. You are culture. Of all the humans who have enrolled in this class, there are indigenous peoples. There are indigenous peoples who are members of tribes and nations and bands. There are indigenous people who don't know who their bands and who their ancestors are. There are folks in this class who are indigenous because their 23andMe report tells them they are. There's people in here who are not indigenous. There's people in here who are indigenous, but they are also Latina. They are also queer. They are also multilingual. They also are transgender. What does it mean to be indigenous? What does it mean to be native? That's the question that only individuals and indigenous communities can answer. Fundamentally, a class like this, and my hope over the next several weeks is that we can dig deep into ourselves and ask questions like, who are we? What's our identity? Where does it come from? And in addition to that, when we look out and we see other humans, how we process their identities, what is it they're communicating to us about who they are and where they came from and what they want to be? 
And how does our lens upload it? How are we downloading that information? How does it influence our behavior on a day-to-day -day basis? Culture is people, culture is places and environment and adaptation, it's language, it's religion, it's marriage, it's belief and non-belief. It's art, it's learning, it's spirituality, it's many things at any given time. Culture doesn't just happen to one person. Fundamentally, culture is shared. Culture is learned. Culture is inherited. Culture is normative behavior. You know somebody you share a culture with when you can predict their behavior because you've learned it. You've seen it. You've heard about it. Somebody shared it with you. That's what culture is. In this class, when we talk about indigenous communities and cultures of this huge piece of land often referred to as Turtle Island, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on the ancestry and the shared and the learned and the normative behavior. We're going to be really mindful that we don't box indigenous people into any place that they don't author and that they don't consent to. Now, I think that my hope, at least, is... This week, you're going to be navigating a lot of information that may seem disconnected to you, but there's something that threads it together, and that is identity, what we've just been talking about, cultural identity. And, you know, I, I want to invite you to just take a minute and think about what the heck is identity, right? How do we answer that question? Well, fundamentally, we have to think about the question, who are we? Not who are they? If you are indigenous in this class, you know who you are. You also know that you navigate other people's definitions of who you are. We all do. Some of us navigate those questions and have a terrifically fun time doing it, right? There's a lot of power in it. It's a lot of curiosity, there's a lot of sort of sense of, gosh, I'm seen. This is great. I belong. I'm on the in-group. And sometimes we navigate that question and we're exhausted. We want people to quit asking or asking for the same reasons because they want to hear an answer that fits their narrative they want to be, to receive some sort of affirmation that, yeah, 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 that's what I thought. So let's just take a minute and think about this concept of identity. Identities are socially constructed. Lots of things, lots of things are socially constructed, right? If you answer that question, I am, it's typically socially constructed. 
Think about it. Take a minute, right? Type it out, write it out, chew on it in your head. Make a list. Answer the question, who am I? Your answer to that question is culturally, socially defined. It is based off of proximity, right? How you answer that question. How close is something to you? How far away is it? Do you recognize it? You know, it's based off of what we know. Do we know anything about it? If we don't, it's probably not going to be in our answer. Yeah, it's relational. It's based off the relationships that we have around us. So for example, if I were to say I'm a sister, right? That is a socially constructed, right? That's kinship based. But also, maybe I say I am a sister or an auntie or a grandmother or a teacher or whatever, right? Because it's something that's active in my life right now. It's something that's a part of my heritage. It's something that always has meaning to me. Sometimes there's parts of me when I answer the question, who am I, right, that never make it in there. Maybe I don't feel safe sharing it. Maybe it's something I just want to keep to myself because it's mine. Maybe I've learned it's not safe to say it out loud, there's the unchosen parts of who we are. Lots of things are unchosen. Maybe we don't choose to be a sibling. Maybe we don't choose our religion or our spirituality. It's something that we inherited from our family or our community. If we have a disability, we didn't choose the disability, but it can become part of who we are. And then there's also that layer of the unchosen part of our identity that comes from society, what they see, what they want us to be. And we navigate that. So I invite you, maybe before you start digging into this week, is to just sit with that for a moment and answer that question, who am I? Right? Who am I? And think about the multiple layers of who you are. And think about when they matter and when they don't matter and when they make you happy and when they feel a little heavy. And when you're reminded of them or when they're just sort of background noise, that's identity. So as complicated and complex as it is for us as individuals, imagine feeling as if you have the power and you have the lens and you, you have the voice to be able to speak that for all people who identify as indigenous and native. It's impossible. And it ought not even be an aspiration or an aim, right? I want you to imagine a philosophy textbook, right? Here's a really great exercise. Imagine a philosophy textbook that begins with the question, what is man? What would you expect that book to be about? Probably... A lot of folks in at least American common culture would expect an exploration of how man differs from other animal species or from angels or gods or other celestial beings. Now imagine a philosophy book beginning with the question, what is woman? What would that book be about? Perhaps a lot of people would think it's going to be a discussion about women, a very binary version of the feminine versus animals or gods, but 
rather an analysis of the similarities and differences between women and men. Why would a lot of people's expectations of these two books be so different? Well, one answer culturally is that man has most often been considered a generic term for all humans, but woman is not. Man can refer to either one particular human or to human beings as a species. So how do we know when man means males and females and when it means only males? How did one word come to refer to both the whole of humanity and one specific half of it? American English ordinary language reflects a dominant societal tendency to view men as the central actors in human society and to consider quote unquote male characteristics, manliness and masculinity as the defining characteristics of human beings. So there is this American common cultural, dominant cultural tendency to think of men as the norm against which women are compared. And this framework persisted in American common culture at least until the late 20th century, so not that long ago, regardless of important court cases and medical research projects, the tendency still remains and has slowly disappeared, but not without severe repercussions for everybody who doesn't identify as a man. And I know I'm being super simplistic here to make this point. Now, imagine a philosophy textbook beginning with the question, what is human? What would you think? What would you expect the book to be about? probably an exploration of humans compared to other animal species, right? Imagine a textbook beginning, or any book beginning with the question, what is Native American? What is indigenous? What would you expect that book to be about? You probably expect an exploration of how Indigenous peoples differ from other peoples, right? This class isn't about that. Traditionally, as a servant of colonialism in many ways, anthropology sought to answer that question in that way. And again, the next podcast, next week too, we'll get into that. That's not what we're going to do here. We are not going to spend any time being curious about how indigenous peoples are fundamentally or even in the mundane different from all other human beings. We are not going to exoticize, fetishize, objectify indigenous peoples, right? We are going to look at knowledge examine, consider, chew on, embody knowledge 
that has been shared by indigenous voices and indigenous communities, scholars, for a really long time. Those, those, those pieces of knowledge that we have permission, right, to access and share and contemplate. So identity in the context of being native is a concept called indigeneity that, that you're going to look at. You're going to see this week in the slide deck in particular and, and, and some of my highlights and in, through the readings that indigenous identity isn't inherently complicated. It is diverse. There's variety because there are a variety of indigenous communities and identities. It's made complicated because since colonizers arrived, they have been looking and trying to answer that question, right? What is Native American? And certainly at the beginning, the answer to that question was not human. As the journey continues, you will find that there are a multi-tiered, there is a multi-tiered way in which non-Indigenous, non-Native society has sought to understand Indigenous peoples, to classify them, to order them chronologically in the past, to see them through a colonizer's lens, to make them specimens, to save them from themselves, to tokenize them. There are legal definitions, in one sense, definitions to provide protections against harm, legal harm and human harm in society. There's also other legal definitions because, again, once the U.S. culture, the nation was building, those colonizers, those settlers, that military, those legislators had to figure out what to do with indigenous peoples. So you're going to encounter a lot of federal and human rights and anthropology and state language. Pay attention to it because it is a part of indigenous identity, but it is not alone indigenous identity. We are going to spend time uplifting the voices of indigenous people, answering the question for themselves and for their communities. We are. Rather than looking from the outside and saying they are. So I think that that has given you a fairly decent introduction to what you're going to be navigating this week. 
I've given you a couple things to think about and I've already just asking you to chew on a few things. I have already, my wheels are turning and I'm re-chewing on the same questions about who am I, who do I want to be, who do others want me to be. And I think that's a good thing. It humbles me and it's going to allow me to lead the next 10 weeks with humility and compassion and respect and joy and frustration and anger and all the things that come with being a human. Um, I invite you to take moments as you navigate this week and you navigate questions about identity and who you are and if you're not indigenous who you think indigenous people are and where you got those messages from and how that has um, impacted how you navigate the world what you see what you don't see right how that has framed your conversations about indigenous people and with indigenous people what is it you're looking for from them and if you are indigenous this class hopefully is a humble attempt to right some historic anthropological wrongs and to um, provide you with a level of representation and knowledge sharing that has been missing and that you deserve until next week thank you